Oh, dude, I'm on like two hours sleep right now. That's so I, not enough. I got big time nighttime sillies going on. And uh, we're talking about a movie today that I don't know if it's appropriate to have nighttime sillies for. <laughs> um, I feel like this is a movie that nighttime sillies are totally appropriate for. But I mean, this is kind of just like a bedtime story being read by an old man with one eye. That's to a child who he does only have one eye. Is sick? The sick question mark? He could be faking. Um, makes you wonder. I kind of think he's bullshitting his way through this, right? But also, this kid, 1987, he's got a TV in his room. He's got a video game system in his room. He's living the life. He really is living the life. And it, That's I mean, next if level he didn't stuff. have a, a pop pop with one bad eye, then he'd be in a really good place. <laughs> if he didn't have to shut off his sweet baseball game video game to listen to a story from grandpa and get his <laughs> cheek pinched these would be the wonder years that's two wonder years you had to go for i get that he was in the wonder years i fred savage yes brian yes we know who fred savage is you know brother to ben happy all audience august everybody yeah happy audience we fucked up so hard in scheduling <laughs> That we just had to uh, do this. We had to make yeah. it up to you all because we, we had to suck so badly. Fix our whoopsie. <laughs> we've been doing this for like five years, and uh, me and Brian figured out we've done over 350 episodes of things at this point. Wild. And I don't think we've ever messed up this badly. Well, I don't know about that. Fair enough. <laughs> there was an incident with The Last Jedi. Not wrong there. Not wrong. <laughs> But for the first week of all audience August, this audience. pick up. Oh, Jesus. You're going to dive in every single You're going to make me lean into it just so. Every single time, yeah. For the first pick of audience. <laughs> I hate it. Don't do that. It comes from Michael Carlstrom. Thank you, Michael. He's been asking for this one for a really long time. We are talking about The Princess Bride from 1987, directed by Rob fucking Reiner. Rob fucking Reiner. I forget that he's such a prolific director. He's made a lot of bangers. Because I usually just think of him as like the dad from New Girl. That's where your head goes right away? When you say Rob Reiner, the first thing I think of is yes. I mean, most people would say like Meathead back in the day. Yeah, of but course. going the dad from New Girl. Jessica Day's father, Zoe Deschanel's daddy on New Girl for like eight episodes. Yeah, I've never seen New Girl. It's very good. Um, That's what people keep telling. But now I don't know if it's very good because I don't know if this is going to be another righteous gemstone situation from you. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it at a righteous gemstones level as far as my recommendation for you goes. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever seen The Princess Bride before. I'm going to ask you how many times have you seen The Princess Bride before? I mean, if I'm being honest, not as many as you might think. Uh, it's actually been a very long time since I've watched it too. Probably 20 years since the last time. Holy I've seen shit! It. Yeah. Do you not love love or joy? or I love love humor? and I love joy and humor. Those are actually probably three of my favorite things. Just for some reason, this one, I always forget it exists until it's too late. And then I go, oh, I should have watched The Princess Bride tonight. See, I can understand if you like put it on a pedestal or something and you want to keep it special. And that's why you're not watching it that much. <laughs> no, no, it's not a pedestal. Legitimately, after watching this movie, I was thinking to myself, man, if I were on death row... And they said, you could watch one more movie 
Wow. In your life while you're eating your sweet Taco Bell meal for your last meal. Because, yeah, it's going to be fucking Taco <laughs> Bell. You better believe it. When they inject me, I'm going to be literally leaking shit out of me the entire time. <laughs> I want to ruin their table as my parting gift to the world. <laughs> I think that the Princess Bride would be heavily in the running for last movie. Wow. Heavily in the running. That's saying something, too, because you've got a, quite a list of, of movies that you like a lot. And this one doesn't even make my top 10 of all time. But it makes your death row pick list? It does. It's a totally different pick list. I don't know what my death row pick list would be. Well, I don't want a movie that's too long where I'm sitting there just like, oh, God, get it over. I'm going to die right. after this is done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to feel bored with the last movie I'm watching. <laughs> Uh, my my death row pick is actually the entire series of the Beatles Get Back. That's I nine hours. Nine <laughs> hours to contemplate my my upcoming demise. The last thing you'll be thinking is they were all right, weren't they? Hey, how about that band? They uh, they probably should have been bigger than they were, huh? I wonder what <laughs> happened to all of them. This thing's gonna score so fucking high. Do you just want to get right into it? Yeah, but I want to ask you first, how many times do you think, if you had to put a number to it, how many times have you seen this movie? Oh, it's dozens at this point. Dozens. Dozens. Yeah, this is one I go to often. And it's usually like a background movie, so actually sitting down and watching it for the first time in a while yeah, is pretty great. It's a, it's a different feeling, for sure, to actually sit and focus on it. I texted you right when I finished. I was like, I just had a weird feeling at the end of this movie that I've never had before. Interesting. Yeah. I can't wait to unpack that. I'm going to need like a therapist to unpack that one. <laughs> we don't have one of those. No, I don't think a podcast is the right space for oh, Maybe. I don't know. I'll open my heart to somebody one day. Someday. When they least expect it. But yeah, let's get into it. Uh, our first category story and motivation of our 10 category scoring system. And, uh, you know, the beer me comes into effect. If we get the same score as Rotten Tomatoes, then we have to pound the rest of our drink. That we didn't consume whilst recording the episode. We've been getting a little farther away lately. Did you notice that? We have been. Yeah, I feel like we've been drifting from the... We've been getting more extreme. I mean, that's just... That might be it. We're in our season two or something. Something like that. Up in the stakes. This is episode 35 somehow. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we got there. (laughs) I don't know either, man. Yeah, the first category is story motivation. We pull that right from the Wikipedia article on... The movie, this one's got a long Wikipedia and a lot of trivia facts. This movie's got a lot of stuff about it. It that does. Exists I mean, in the world. books written about it. There sure are. But we're going to start right with the Wikipedia. A grandfather, Peter fucking Falk, reads a novel to his sick grandson, Fred Savage, who initially dismisses the story. And just like any kid in the 80s or ever, he goes, where's the sports? Give me the sports. <laughs> There's you no know, gladiators uh, in this. Where's Blaze? <laughs> Does this story have baseball? Because if it doesn't, I don't care. <laughs> I'll go right back to my Nintendo knockoff. It's not Nintendo. I think it had a joystick, too. It did. I think not the ideal way to probably play a baseball game. 87 is probably the only way to play a baseball game, though. Also fair. I don't know what it was with this baseball game, but the nostalgia just flew back to like RBI baseball and NES back in the day. Hearing that MIDI music going again, ah, oh, it felt good. <laughs> Here's some 8-bit baseball to jog your memory of times gone by, the years about which you wonder. The comedy rule of threes said that now you're That's done. That's it. I have to be done. <laughs> good. I'm glad you got out of the way. <laughs> the tale concerns Buttercup, 
played by Robin fucking Wright, a young woman living on a farm in the fictional kingdom of Florin during a feudal-like period. Introducing Robin Wright. Huge. Huge. It's amazing that this is 1987, and by 1994, is it? Forrest Gump? She's going to be a household name. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually, just everywhere, always. Whenever she tells farmhand Wesley, played by Carrie... Oh, do I give him the fucking? You better give him the fucking. <laughs> I was mostly doing that for a reaction. Of course, Carrie fucking use. What is wrong El- with you? Why can't I? I can't make words today. I'm having... Elwes. Elwes. My mouth is being funny around words. Yeah, just this episode, you're stumbling over words. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally a new thing. Whenever she asks Wesley to do something, he always answers, as you wish, which is secretly his way of saying that he loves her. They fall in love, and Wesley leaves to seek his fortunes overseas so they can get married. That seems easy enough, I guess. Why does he have to go overseas to seek the fortune and come back? Like, she's clearly relatively well off if they have a farmhand. A farmhand, yeah. They're like, hey, farm boy, why don't you just be, you know, graduate to farm man? That's right. (laughs) The farm man of the house. Here, eat this horseradish. Put some hair on your chest. You'll stop being a farm boy and become a farm man. Well, the patriarchy says that I have to make more money than you, so I'm going to uh, set sail on the open seas and find my fortunes abroad and then come back for you. Hey, man, as someone who's recently started playing Sea of Thieves, this seems real dangerous. When the dread pirate Roberts attacks his ship, uh, Wesley is presumed dead. I just have to imagine that whenever anyone leaves back in like the Middle Ages or whenever this takes place... Like, night times, I guess. Just always assume they're dead at a point. Like, you don't know when they're coming back. Could be a few minutes. It could be tens of years. It's kind of like how your dog feels whenever you leave. You just don't know if they're ever coming back. No clue. No, they're gone for forever, really. Five years later, Buttercup is unwillingly betrothed to Florence Prince Humperdinck, played, of course, by Chris fucking Sarandon. How is she betrothed to him? Is that ever explained at all? Uh, he just, like, he makes an announcement. I'm marrying that chick. The one coming out of the fog machine over there dressed real nice. Yeah. Um, no, they don't really establish how this comes to be other than he's just like, eh, you'll do. He's just wandering the, the lands of his, looking for hotties. Walking around his kingdom being like, oh, what's her name? What's her deal? Does she have a farm boy? No, no farm boy? All right. Scoop that up. Yes, it is I, Prince Humpadink. I'm trolling for babes. (laughs) I'm out here trying to make one of your lives better, you poor, poor people. I don't know why I went half JFK on that to begin with. (laughs) Been watching too much Clone High Season 2. Yeah, raw. I chose you. (laughs) Fantastic. I love that they made a Season 2 20 years later. It's pretty great. I love the way that they, like, got themselves out of some old jokes, too. Yeah, like the way they left Gandhi frozen. Gandhi completely out. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. That's the right move. <laughs> it is. Before the wedding, Buttercup is kidnapped by three outlaws. A small Sicilian man named Vizini, played by Wallace fucking Shaw. A giant from Greenland named Fezzik, played by Andre fucking the fucking giant. When you say it that way, it sounds like he's doing something. That's right. <laughs> is... Andre fucking the giant in that situation? 
Andre's you see the giant doing the fucking giant? The fucking giant. Andre's fucking the fucking giant. Stop him. You know what's fun about having Andre the Giant in this? What's that? Is that he can't do shit. <laughs> Didn't he like recently, very recently have back surgery before they filmed this? Yeah, he couldn't even lift Robin Wright while they were filming this. And she's famously very light. Yes! It made no <laughs> sense why they got this big boy to do all this stuff. And they're like, they need to be real strong. He's like, I can't. <laughs> that seems a little heavy for me. He's a treat, though. He's wonderful. I love him so much. There's so many Andre the Giant stories out there. Like, I don't even give a shit about him being a wrestler. I, I sincerely don't. Yeah, I feel yeah. like everything it's outside of him being interesting a wrestler thing about is him. fantastic. Yeah. The, like, you ever seen pictures of him holding a beer can? <laughs> yes. It's like a thimble in his hands. It doesn't make sense. No, that's why he, they're like, oh, he drank 126 beers. I'm like, I'm sure. He was I believe it. A little thirsty. <laughs> I need a beverage. I'm kind of parched. <laughs> it went from all the peanuts. <laughs> they were kind of salty. Now I need a beverage. 127 beers. I was off by one going off the dome? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm not looking it up. That's not working <laughs> there, Google. All you wrestling folks, you know all these stories already. Enjoy. <laughs> and the third member of this, this outlaw crew is a Spanish fencing master named Inigo Montoya, played by Mandy, a fucking Patinkin. And he's, of course, seeking revenge against a six-fingered man who murdered his father. Do you think a six-fingered man is hard to find? It depends on how hard you're looking, I guess. I mean, I could find one pretty damn fast. Well, we have the internet. We do, but even at Grauman's Chinese Theater, there's a six-fingered man who put his hand in the cement. Oh. And this is real. If you go there and you look at Mel Brooks and where he put his hands in, he put a fake prosthetic finger on the hand he put in there. So it has six fingers. That's so Mel Brooks, though. Yes, it is. <laughs> I love that. A masked man in black pursues them, as do Prince Humperdinck and his knights. I can never figure out how far behind Prince Humperdinck was in his pursuit. Yeah, I have no clue. Else. I have no clue. Always near enough to be, you know, a, a threat, but also, but also far enough that it doesn't have any impact on the plot, really. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect distance. The man in black confronts the outlaws atop the Cliffs of Insanity. Wikipedia just skips right to the part where they're already all at the top. That's fine with me. They skipped the eels. There was eels. There were scary. There were eels. There was, there was a, a rope. rope. There was a lot of talking on the edge of the cliff. It was wonderful. It was so much fun. I love the relationship that's built between Inigo and the masked man. Yes. Just the mutual respect. The mutual respect. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm also... Not usually a left-handed fencer. <laughs> exactly. He defeats Inigo in a fencing duel and knocks him out. He chokes Fezzik into unconsciousness and tricks Vizzini into drinking a deadly poison. Out of these three sequences that happen, if you had to rank them best to worst, what would Ooh. you say? The worst is an obvious one. The worst is obviously Fezzik. 100%. The other two are close, but I think I need to lean Inigo. As the best? Yeah. See, I'm leading Vizzini. Because Wallace Shaw, really good. He had to take that drink because he was so thirsty from chomping all that scenery. <laughs> it is fantastic. He monologues for seriously a good five minutes, and it's enjoyable. It's in a way that only Wallace Shawn could do, though. I'm gonna say this now. I was gonna wait to talk about this, but Pat Oswalt does a good job of it. 
it's obviously not the same level, but. Are you talking about the Parks and Rec bit where he did the entire crazy monologue improv Star Wars thing? I'm talking about the home video, The Princess Bride, that came out for Quibi in 2020. God damn, remember Quibi? Remember Quibi? Remember 2020? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd rather not remember 2020. No, James, uh, James, Jason Reitman directed an entire Princess Bride with random actors that changed throughout the process oh, of I the movie. Oh, I remember this. And they're just individual scenes self-shot by these actors, and then all pieced together to tell the entire movie. I didn't think I'll watch that. I, I feel like I did watch it back in 2020. Some of the names of the people on here are absolutely insane. Didn't folks from The Office get in on that also? I feel yep, like there did. was one of the segments was was just um, Oscar and Angela. Yeah. And, um, and, Brian uh, Bumgarner. Brian Bumgarner, yeah. yeah. He was Fezzik, obviously. And uh, Rain Wilson was also in it. Did Brian Bumgarner do the voice or no? The Kevin voice? He, he kind of did the, the Fezzik voice, but oh, kind man. of also did the Kevin voice. It was like a combination of the two. Hearing Brian Bumgarner speak for real is weird. It is. Because he's Very like weird. incredibly well-spoken. <laughs> <laughs> he has like such a theatrical voice. And you're like, this makes no sense. I watched oh. you spill chili all over a floor. <laughs> so this guy is actually acting. Got he it. sure is. Everyone's always just like, I can't believe Steve Carell never won an Emmy for this role. It's like, I can't fucking believe Brian Bumgarner never got nominated. But some of the names you have in this this Quibi version, which is now easily found on YouTube and TikTok all the time, Josh Gad, Rob Reiner comes back, Fred Savage comes back, J.K. Simmons, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, Sarah Silverman, Adam Sandler. You get Carl Reiner at the end, like three days before the man died. Yikes. Yeah, he's the one who, who delivers the last line of the movie, which is just something special. Chris Pine, Sam Rockwell, Neil Patrick Harris, John Hamm. I mean, the list is insane of the people that they got to do this. In all fairness, 2020, they all had the time. They were all just kind of sitting around like, you know what I'd like to be doing? Making movies. Oh, you want me to make a movie? <laughs> so basically, the three outlaws here are defeated. Vizzini's the only one that dies because he drank deadly poison. And I love how the man in black's like, yeah, I developed an immunity to it. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, they were no both biggie. poisoned, but I, I'm immune to the poison. He forcibly flees with Buttercup, and she correctly guesses that he is the Dread Pirate Roberts, and she berates him for killing Wesley and shoves him down a hill. It's a very big hill, though. It's a huge hill. I struggled to call it a hill, but Wikipedia calls it a hill, so that's what we're going with. But I love as he's tumbling down, and she's like, oh, you can go to hell, and he's like, as you wish! And then I like how she recognized, like, fuck me, that was Wesley. There's only one person who says that. And then she dives down the hill. Yeah, she Terrific. sure does. Uh, since we've already brought up the Quibi version, I love that the way they did this was Sam Rockwell and Leslie Bibb did this scene. and they Of just... course you like it because Leslie Bibb. <laughs> well, what they did was for the rolling down the hill mountainside scene is they took puppets and threw them down a staircase. And it was fantastic. Wonderful. <laughs> so she throws herself down there. They are reunited. They do a kiss. Fred Savage hates it. That's because Willie Mays and Babe Ruth never made out well, on the old as diamond. as far as you know. I'd watch. I mean, if not just out of sheer curiosity. That just reminded me of like this old Mickey Mantle story, how 
I think it was during the 50th anniversary of Yankee Stadium. They sent out all like these cards to old Yankee players asking for their favorite memories and describing Yankee Stadium, like what they remember about it. <laughs> yeah. And Mickey Mantle sent his in describing his favorite Yankee Stadium memory. And I'm reading it now. Google, <laughs> I was talking there. Uh, it reads, I got a blowjob under the right field bleachers <laughs> by the Yankee bullpen. Then the question, the prompt is, this event occurred on or about? Give as much detail as you can. To which he wrote, it was about the third or fourth inning. I had a pulled groin and couldn't fuck at the time. She was a very nice girl and asked me what to do with the cum after I came in her mouth. I said, don't ask me. I'm no cocksucker. (laughs) Uh, It's a good memory, I guess. Now, how much would you love to hear Peter Falk reading that to Fred Savage? (laughs) I would love that. Ah, good on you, Mickey Mantle. Yeah, good on him. I mean, you can't really top that, can you? Asked and answered. While Wesley and Buttercup make their way through the dangerous fire swamp to avoid Humperdink, Wesley explains how the Dread Pirate Roberts is an inherited title that he assumed when he, the previous Roberts decided he wanted to retire. Yeah, pass the mantle down. Pretty nice. The Mickey Mantle. <laughs> that stints. <laughs> yeah, it's called a callback. It's a quick one. Having found Buttercup, Wesley intends to pass the title to another. He doesn't know who yet, but he's like, I, I can, you know, retire from being a pirate and finally go back to seeing you again. Now that it's been five years. I found my riches. Humperdinck captures them after they emerge from the fire swamp. Pretty easily, too. Like, they avoided this entire fire swamp. They just went around, which seems yeah. like a really good idea. It seems like the right idea with what the quicksand and all of that and the giant rodents. That's how you turn a 98-minute movie into, like, a 70-minute movie. (laughs) That is how you do that. We need to make time here, okay? We need the drama. Through the fire swamp we go. Hey, I got this big rat costume. What do you want to do with it? Put it on and fight this guy. The stakes. We need them. (laughs) There has to be a third thing in this swamp. Buttercup agrees to return with Humperdinck after he promises to release Wesley. Yeah, bullshit. No way, like, oh, yeah. Humperdinck's going to do I'll that. I'll let him go. Humperdinck secretly orders his sadistic vizier, Count Rugen, played by Christopher fucking Guest, to take Wesley to the pit of despair for torture on a machine that Rugen invented. Before being knocked out, Wesley spots six fingers on Rugen's right hand. I like how he questions the six fingers, and then Rugen's just like, nope, can't have you awake anymore. When Buttercup threatens suicide if the wedding happens, Humperdinck falsely promises to find Wesley. She threatens suicide a lot, which... Several times uh, in this movie. This episode might as well be brought to you by BetterHelp. The amount of times <laughs> that Buttercup is threatening suicide. She, it is it is her first thing to jump to when she's something's not going her way. She's like, well, I'm just going to kill myself then. She's the princess. She can do really whatever she wants to to a point, but she yeah. never like tries to abuse any power, I feel like. Well, I feel like the only reason she's a princess is because she was chosen by Prince Humperdinck. But she's got the title. It's kind of like a Princess Diana. She could do whatever she wants. If she wants to crash a car in a tunnel, go for it. (laughs) Uh, Buttercup, famously just dying to crash a car. Well, she does threaten suicide a lot, so maybe. I just think that if she were to do something that would upset Prince Humperdinck, she could lose that princess title, and that's not ideal either. That's... True, I suppose. But what does it matter to her? She'll just go back to the farm and find another boy. That's right. She's waiting for him anyway. 
What Humperdinck really plans is to start a war with the country of Gilder by killing Buttercup and framing Gilder for the murder. I feel like there's easier ways to go about this. There are definitely easier ways to go to war with with the other place. Just like, hey, fuck those guys. But they're trying to make it seem like it's Gilder's fault for the war starting. And I'm not going to say that there's similar issues going on in the world <laughs> right now. In Mother Russia, war starts you. We need some sort of false flag attack so we can do this, you know, thing that we want to do to this other place. I hate those guys. I want to have war with them, but we can't just start a war because then the, the people will be upset with us. I mean, we're royalty. We're not elected, so it doesn't really matter. But, like, I like to look good. I like people to like me. He does look good, though. His hair is very finely quaffed. <laughs> he has the quaffinest of hairs. Who's got better hair in this movie? God. Chris Sarandon or Chris Guest? Both got good hair. They both have very good hair. I think I have to give it to Sarandon, though. I think I might give it to Sarandon. It's very close, though. Oh, yeah. Lots of good hair in this movie. It's a good hair movie, man. Worst <sighs> hair is probably Andre, and that's a problem, because he's in that a scene a with Wallace Shawn. <laughs> Who has better hair. Yeah. You know whose hair doesn't look great in this movie? Fred Savage. That's because he's ill. He's supposed to be sick. Ish. I get it. And when your grandpa can only see you with one eye, I mean, do you really need to look all that great? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the whole plot for murder to start war, it turns out that Humperdinck had secretly hired Vizini to do the, the whole th kidnapping of Buttercup before Wesley intervened. Yeah, thanks for spelling it out for us, movie. Thanks for forgetting that we have brains as an audience. <laughs> Appreciate it. Don't think we could have gotten there on our own. Meanwhile, Fezzik becomes part of the Brute Squad, ordered to clear the thieves' forest before the wedding. He finds a drunk Inigo living in the forest, whom he sobers up and tells about Rugen. He just dunks his head in water a lot, and that Next works. Next time I'm really drunk, I need somebody to try this on me. I'll have to be very drunk to agree to it, but I'm curious. It looked like there was one hot water and one cold water, so we're alternating. We could test this theory. <laughs> I immediately regret uh, volunteering. Yeah, you know I don't forget this stuff, ever. And I yeah. hold true to my promises on this show. Oh, great. That means next time there's a tap master, I feel like there's going to be hot water and cold water involved. Jesus, I got to bring back tap masters, what you're telling me. But at the same time, <laughs> I feel like this is an appropriate time that Brian doesn't even know this, but I'm committing to it now. This Christmas, it's going to be another drunk episode. Oh, no. And we're going to release whatever we have. Whatever we have. We won't re-record it like we did last year out of embarrassment <laughs> and, then, uh, and then release the drunk one anyway? Yeah. Yeah. What was the point of that? It was like, hey, I have let's, no idea. Let's do one so we can get it out on time and then let's release the one where we're so fucked up that we didn't finish the episode anyway. So uh, this Christmas, again, it's going to be a very beer me drunk Christmas episode. I hope it's just a little bit less drunk. That'd be lovely, yeah. Just the tiniest bit. I don't want to have to walk outside mid-recording thinking I'm going to vom. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing I'm thinking, too. It's like, maybe <laughs> not any vomiting involved in this year's episode. And then fall asleep on my basement floor. I fell asleep right in the couch I was sitting on. I woke up the next morning and my camera was still on, so... It was an event. I was still on the Zoom. You could have rejoined at any moment. You know what? We might have to, like, live stream that recording, then. That's just going to encourage people to make us drink. Could be patrons only. Oh, okay. Now that's something. We got time. We'll figure All it right. out. All right. We have time. 
Inigo realizes that he and Fezzik need Wesley's help to storm the castle. I like how they just go find him. They're just like, all right, let's go find him. We have until tonight. Let's do it. We, we got him. Like, even Sherlock Holmes couldn't deduce this this quickly. Yeah, this is like, this is beyond 60s Batman level of, well, <laughs> at least he connected a few dots. Well, I got Fezzik. We need to use our man in black spray. <laughs> Do you think the man in black is what inspired Batman to start wearing all black? Because at that point, he was wearing gray and he had the blue. Yeah, I mean, Batman was only two years later, wasn't it? So maybe. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you want to go literal with it, I meant in the little scenario we just established with Adam West. Get back to reading about the boy Wonder Years, kid! Buttercup discovers that Humperdinck never searched for Wesley, and she calls him a coward. He Duh! Why would she? Why would he send his four fastest ships to go to Buttercup, damsel in right. distress, just a little less? You know what? I want to marry you, but yes, I will send my four fastest ships to find the man you love. Uh, let me get right on that. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so she calls him a coward, and he doesn't like that. Uh, he imprisons her and puts the torture machine on its highest setting, which appears to kill Wesley. How does this machine work? So, you have Rugen who turns it up to level one, just to test yeah. it out. And it does so much damage to Wesley that he actually starts crying on the table, to which Rugen goes, interesting. <laughs> I love that and he's like, yeah, I set it to one, so you lose one year of your life. But I couldn't figure this out because he turns to one, it opens up some sort of water channel that flows and it flips over the mill sort of thing the water mill and then it drains the life from it it's just attached to the temples i don't know yeah i'm not sure but you gotta imagine that wesley also lost like 50 years of his life at some point he had to because it was set to 50 so he's realistically like on death's door at all times from like here on out this is what kills him but he also comes back to life. You don't just regain oh, yeah, years you don't gain of your back. life from a nice chocolate pill or something like Listen, that later. Maybe the chocolate pill revi- revives all the years lost to torture devices. I don't know how this world works. <laughs> I don't think we're meant to question any of this. <laughs> You're thinking too hard about the Princess Bride again. It happens often. I can't help it. I love this movie. <laughs> Inigo and Fezzik follow Wesley's screams through the forest. They find his body. They bring him to Miracle Max. Billy fucking Crystal, who is, of course, a folk healer of sorts. You remember how I said Wallace Shawn was just chewing scenery the entire time <laughs> he was on screen? Yes. How is it that Billy Crystal completely showed up everybody in this movie? <laughs> Instantly. But never chewed any scenery? That is a great question. But Billy Crystal at no point is overdoing it. That's the thing. It's just the shtick. He's just nailing the shtick without overselling it. It helps that Wallace Shawn had already eaten all the scenery. That's a good point. Not a lot really of scenery none left. <laughs> but yeah, um, Billy Crystal absolutely crushes it. Carol Kane is great, but she's she's doing a little more chewing. She is, but I feel like she has to because yeah. you can't have Billy Crystal playing this weird sort of straight man comedic role. Sort of. Like sort you need of? to have that dynamic with Carol Kane. I'm no bitch, I'm your wife type scenario. I love Carol Kane so fucking much, Carol Kane's so good in everything. So Max revives the mostly dead Wesley, though he is severely weakened with the aforementioned chocolate pill. I like how they say that you have to wait 15 minutes for full potency. They end up taking him from Miracle Max's hut, 
to the castle walls, and they're like, has it been 15 minutes? They're like, no, but throw it in them anyway. Yeah. How close is everything in Florin? It must be, you know, right next to each other. It's a very small, it's like it's like three buildings. It's the farm, it's, it's Miracle Max's, and the castle. And Billy Crystal also drops, like, I know we don't do one-liners anymore, but he drops one of the all-time great one-liners of, have fun storming the castle, boys! I feel like that was the thing you said to people when they were leaving right up until Elf came out. What's the Elf line now? Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. I have literally never heard anybody say that. Really? Okay. Yeah. But I don't hang out around a lot of Elf heads either. <laughs> oh, I, have to I imagine that's exclusively what <laughs> run an Elf head uh, clans. So they hate being called clans, though, as most people do these days. That's fair. I mean, the pointy hats. Definitely don't go over well. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good combo. As Wesley, Inigo, and Fezzik storm the castle, Humperdinck panics and orders the in-progress wedding to be shortened. You can't do that legally. That's not how it works. And also, I love the way that this priest is credited as the impressive priest or whatever it is at the end of the this The impressive thing. clergyman. It's so good. Peter fucking Cook. Mowage! <laughs> Basically, Inigo's going to find Rugen. They're going to fight. Rugen's going to severely injure him. Rugen realizes who Inigo is, and he taunts him about his father. Inigo obviously doesn't like that very much. (laughs) No. So he has the whole, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. And he keeps repeating it. And I love how Chris Guest's like, stop saying that. (laughs) You stop that? You're getting scary. And of course, Inigo ends up killing Rugen. Sure. He kind of had to. It would have been... Not it a was good super anticlimactic if he, did. if he didn't get his his vengeance. He was Rugen the entire killed the time. son too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was fun. All right, I didn't expect that to happen. Like, what was the point of getting him and Manny Patinkin in this movie? Wesley locates Buttercup, who is about to commit suicide again, as she believes she is now married to Humperdinck. Wesley assures her that the marriage is invalid because she never completed her wedding vows. And uh, Humperdinck agrees. He's like, yeah, that's true. Uh, we'll have to do the technicality. Do. He's like, you never said I do. And Humperdinck's like, yeah, you got me there. I mean, well, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're right. But also, you're stuck in here with me now. He approaches Wesley to kill him. But Wesley wills himself to stand and intimidates Humperdinck into surrendering just before Aniko finds them. I love how Humperdinck, even though he's completely defeated, he still tries to get the high ground. After he realized that Wesley can't even stand up here. Oh, and he yeah. goes, I knew he was bluffing. I knew it. I well, knew it the whole time. Chair, so. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this about Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it today. But Humperdinck <sighs> would have had a really good account. Like oh, full-blown absolutely. troll. It would have been Big wonderful. Time. I would have followed Humperdinck on X or Twitter or whatever it's called. Well, it still exists. I'm pretty sure, like, Charlie Kirk, move on over, bud. <laughs> You're losing oh, your, yeah. your hate ground. <laughs> Welcome to the Humperdink Dome. That doesn't sound as intimidating as you think it would. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it sounded better in my head. I almost like shortened it to Humperdome, and that sounded even worse. So, like once you made the words and you put them in like an order, it was like, oh boy, dome, Humperdink zone. No, not better. It's hard to be intimidating with Humperdink. Sure is. They hear Fezzik's voice outside and discover he has procured four white horses for their escape. Why does he go into detail about how he got these horses? I sincerely don't care. I don't know, but I kind of love that he does. It's like, 
There's probably nothing more important going on right now, guys. You want to know how I got these horses? We got Andre the Giant, and he's famous for talking. He sure is. And not just being really big. I think he's a sweetheart. And earlier, when he's got his big old hand, and he's they're feeding the, the pill. That hand, man. That the hand, hand did some work on this movie. huge. Robin Wright said that when they were doing all the outdoor filming and whatnot, and she would get cold, Andre the Giant would just put his big mitt right on her on her top of her head, and, like he was just a knit cap. For her dome to keep yeah, her warm. Yeah, that makes sense. I get it. By all accounts, Andre the Giant was a fucking sweetheart. Absolutely. And I can see that in this movie. Oh, yeah. I see it on him. I Be- just still to this day, I can't believe after all these years of watching this movie that it still blows my mind how big his hand is. He's a very big boy. Famously. It's not just a clever name. Oh, I thought that was his given name. <laughs> yep, he was born. And his parents were like, our last name is Rusimov. We shall call you the Giant. <laughs> I just thought it was very convenient that Andre was born into the Giants. <laughs> How lucky. And that Stuart Little was born into the Littles. I couldn't believe it. Exactly. Either. They leave Humperdinck tied to a chair and jump to safety through the windows. They literally jump just out of the windows into Fezzik's arms. Having killed Rugen, Inigo is unsure what to do with his life because, you know, his whole life has been about revenge. He's got his revenge. What does he do now? Wesley offers him the Dread Pirate Roberts title. I would love to watch that training montage. I would, too. Or just a whole spinoff series of Mandy Patink and the Pirate. Yes, please. Missed opportunity, Rob Reiner. You hack. <laughs> As dawn arises, Wesley and Buttercup share a passionate kiss. This time, Fred Savage doesn't really care that much. He's kind of into it now. He is kind of into it now. Peter Falk made those little baby boy balls drop. <laughs> and now he's all about this. Yeah, you could say this boy met world, even though that was his brother. That's right. That would be great if this movie just ended with Fred Savage just like looking at his chest and there's just a tiny little curly hair popping out. And he's like, <laughs> Bing, Papa Falk, you did it. Now turn your head so you can see it with the other eye. <laughs> no, over here, over, over here, over here. <laughs> Come on, give it a full rotation, Columbo. <laughs> that would have been even better. Peter Falk's walking out and he turns back he's like, and one more thing. <laughs> Go look at you downstairs. You see the little curlies? You're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) Back in his bedroom, Fred Savage asks his grandfather to read him the story again the next day, to which his grandfather replies, as you wish. That line broke me this time. Same. It's so perfect. And Peter Falk is just like everybody's grandfather in that that moment. Exactly. It works, man. It It lands so hard. And this is such an awkward cut to credits, too. Like, yes. the movie doesn't feel over, and then it's just, like, directed by Rob Reiner. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. That was Hold it. on That's a it. second. It's, over? it's like, you got all the closure you needed, but it didn't feel like you did. But that is The Princess Bride from 1987, directed by Rob fucking Reiner. Story motivation. If it's not a 10, I don't know what we're doing anymore. I agree. 10, and I will have no further debate about it. Casting. Another easy 10. I mean, incredibly done. There were a lot of people that auditioned for Buttercup. A lot of people came out for it. Uma Thurman, Meg Ryan, Sean Young, Susie Armas, Courtney Cox, Whoopi Goldberg. So basically, if you were an actress in the late 80s, you went out for it. If you were a a relatively young kind of newcomer for a lot of these names, then yeah, this was this was the movie you wanted to get on. But Robin Wright showed up, and as they opened the door, they were like, they had um William Goldman there who wrote the book that this is based sure, on. Sure. also the writer of this screenplay. Yep. He said, I mean, that's what I wrote right there. So she got the part. No problem. You got Carrie Elwes, who is fantastic in this. 
And yeah, he is. He goes into this exact same kind of shtick with Robin Menentites in a lot of ways. Yep. Mandy Patinkin is amazing. Picture perfect. Wallace Shawn is amazing. Chris Sarandon's amazing. Chris Guest is amazing. Andre the fucking giant is Andre the fucking giant is next level good amazing. in this. Donnie, who is always in his element, he wrote in and he asked us, please address Andre's physical state at the time of filming. Donnie was fucking terrible. Yeah, he was not in good shape. But then Donnie also asked, also, look into the fart story that may or may not be true. <laughs> he says he prefers to believe that it is. I do, too. I do, too. I found the article on Snopes, and Snopes could not disprove that Andre the Giant had a 16-second fart on set of this movie. Been so many stories about it now, including accounts from people you would assume are reputable, like Carrie Ellis. He wrote about it in great detail in his book, As You Wish, and that book is really good if you get a chance to read it. Dave, I want to try something. <laughs> okay. I'm getting a timer set up right now. We're not going to sit here for 16 seconds. I want just come on. 16, 16 seconds, seconds so straight long farting. Like you don't really appreciate it until you say, you know what? Fine. We won't do it here, but listeners, set a timer for 16 seconds and with your mouth make fart noises just to grasp the enormity of this man's bowels. Pause the episode. For 16 seconds, and uh, you'll get an idea of the amount of gas that leaked out of this big boy. It is surprisingly longer than you think it is, I promise. Maybe that's how global warming started. Because <laughs> they're just like, cows fart, it's bad. It's like, I don't think a cow's ever getting a 16 seconder. <laughs> <laughs> they almost couldn't get under the giant. So they were they're talking to Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was too expensive. Also, Arnold Schwarzenegger's not that big he's not that tall right he's he's just beefy they also talked to kareem abdul jabbar who is tall he's very tall but he's not a very strong boy but yeah he's not a he's not a big guy lou ferrigno who's also not crazy tall no but lou ferrigno is somehow less intelligible speaking than andre the giant somehow and i can say that because lou ferrigno's never going to hear this <laughs> that's true wow uh, the most surprising person that went out for the role of Fezzik that was on the list, the short list, apparently, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson? <laughs> Liam fucking Neeson. I couldn't believe it. I was like, is this a typo? They can't be talking about the same Liam Neeson to play Fezzik in this movie. Jeez. He didn't get the part because he was too small. So Good. <laughs> the different movie entirely. It's Very a 10 for different. casting easily. Easy. Next up is the protagonist. Is it Wesley or is it the titular Princess Bride? I think it should be Wesley. I think so, too. Wesley in this is kind of like your Errol Flynn back in the day. He's going to save the day. He's going to be yeah, brave and daring and, and not charming. caring about anything that happens around him and cool under all this pressure. Nothing scares exactly. him. But the difference is, is that Carol always knows how to be quippy, too, and it works. He sure does. I'm a really big fan of that casting. Another 10. Uh, that'd be great. Thanks. Why not? We're really going for it in this one. Antagonist. Good old Humperdink. He's got a really convoluted plan. It's a terrible plan, but when you get to know his personality, it makes perfect sense why he would come up with this convoluted plan. That's true. I never find him super intimidating, though. I don't think you're supposed to. I think there's nothing about him that, that is threatening. If anything, Rugen is far more intimidating than him. But Humperdink isn't even that interested in... 
marriage, A, because he wants to have her murdered. And I love when right. he's talking to his guard, he says, she will not be murdered. Like, he has to announce, like, we're not letting her get murdered just so this guard who can hear me. Uh, but even when Rugen is about to do the machine on Wesley, Humperdinck's yeah. like, listen, I got to plan a wedding. I got to fake a war. I just right. don't I have time to, to go do. watch gotta, this torture right now. I got to get out of here before you do the torture thing. He doesn't have the stomach for it because he's a coward. That's got to be it. It's the same reason he won't just openly declare war. He's a coward. That's very fair. Uh, eight? Sure. That feels high, but I'll, I'll go with it because, damn it, I like it. Ooh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Screenplay. William fucking Goldman. William fucking Goldman, the, the author of the book. He's a Hollywood legend. And if you ever get a chance, another great book, along with As You Wish by Carrie Elwes, is Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman. It is so damn good. And there's a lot Ooh. of really cool stories in there. This is, um, I, I almost said recent classic but it's not that recent anymore is it? it's not recent it's 35 years ago at this point William Goldman crushes it obviously obviously 10 10 so many great one-liners thrown in this one of thing. the most quotable movies of all time it's way up there way up there so definitely a 10 for screenplay style and tone I really like the fairy tale aspect I love that they framed it as uh, a storybook a proper storybook like you are in the story it's nice how you have the matte backgrounds to a lot of things. It's nice yeah. that you get this very studio lighting that I feel like is done very deliberately. Yeah. I'm a really big fan of the way this thing looks. Me too. Ten again. Ten. Look at us. Fanboying. We kind of are. Uh, we yeah. kind of are, but we also... <laughs> I feel like it's warranted on this one, damn it. Uh, this is a great one. Director. Rob Reiner. Rob fucking Reiner. Is this his best movie? I don't know, because don't Stand know. By Me also exists. Stand By Me is great, so is When Harry Met Sally. But he still absolutely destroys this movie in the best way possible. Yeah. destroys in a positive way. God damn, another 10? Brian, just start typing 10s and we'll figure <laughs> just, out if it's just right or wrong from there. 10, and then decide after if it's too high. Music. Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits did this one. And he did it for nothing. Money for nothing? Chicks for free? that at all. Can't do it. Uh, he pretty much did the entire soundtrack on a synclavier, which is just a synthesizer machine. Unreal. The soundtrack sounds way out of place, but also incredibly appropriate. It reminds me of like silent films in a lot of the ways, where you have somebody w sitting there with the organ playing along yeah. With like Harold Lloyd or Charlie Chaplin up on the screen. That's what it reminds me of every single time. It does have that kind of vibe to it. And I don't know if it's just because of repeated viewings over years and years. It just feels right. And I don't know if it always has. Or now it's just familiar. I don't know. I don't know because it stands out to me every single time, but it never feels out of place. Right. And that's what I'm, I don't know if that's because of how often I've watched this movie. What are you thinking? <sighs> I mean... I already wrote 10. <laughs> okay. This was the one I was willing to go down on. That's why. Well, that's because you said to write 10 for all of them. And then we that's discuss. a good point. I notice the music a lot. Yeah. So I kind of, uh, nine. Which is, <laughs> you're not what you want, really, is <laughs> the music to stand out. So yeah, that's terrible. Let's give it a nine. That felt dirty. It felt dirty giving it a nine. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. I'm sure we'll make it up somewhere. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Box office. This one is out of our hands. Um, 
when this movie came out, it it was 16th its week of release. It had an estimated budget of $16 million, and it made worldwide $30.9 million, which is only a 193% return, which on our scale gives it a 6. That's low. And I'm looking here. Opening weekend, it only did 206000 Yeah. Like, people would be threatening Princess Buttercup levels of suicide now, if that yeah. were the case on a $16 million movie. <laughs> and the thing is, none of the movies that were released this week placed above 10th. We had Fatal Attraction and Hellraiser and other movies like Dirty Dancing that was still around and La Bamba. It was in 10 weeks and just keeping holding steady at the top nine. Wow. All right. So that is a six for box office. And the final category is impact on the industry. 11. It's huge. It's it's, it's really enormous. immeasurable. This is one of those timeless classics that is just not going away, and it probably never will go away. Yeah, this movie is uh, it is in the Criterion Collection. It's in the Library of Congress uh, National Film Registry. There's books about it. Uh, 2018 Deadpool 2 did a PG-13 cut called Once Upon a Deadpool. They hired Fred Savage, and they used the same storytelling it's just Ryan Reynolds reading the story of Deadpool 2 to Fred Savage. That's amazing. <laughs> Full-grown Fred Savage in the same set and everything. It's so good. Oh, good for Fred Savage getting work. That's that's terrific. <laughs> and, of course, then you get the, the 2020 complete redo of this movie on Quibi, directed by Jason Reitman, starring all of these stars. This thing has a huge impact. Easy 11. Easy. If we don't go higher than 11, it's our rule. That's but right. this one legitimately... Only Turn Could, it up if, to yeah. 11 on account of Spinal Tap, another Rob Reiner movie. That's exactly it. <laughs> wow. We only gave Rob Reiner a 10. <laughs> that is going to give The Princess Bride a total score of 94. Very good score. Not for us. Oh, are you serious? I am serious. No way. I thought we were going to be safe because that six was going to throw a loop into it. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. The critic score is a 98%, but that audience score. Wow, we did it. And it's appropriate for an audience pick, all audience <laughs> it August. sure is. It is a 94. Oh, man, there's still quite a bit in this can. Yeah, I just opened a new one. That was a mistake. Oops. Princess Bride is a fantastic fucking movie. Michael Karlstrom, you knocked it out of the park with this pick. Excellent pick, man. This is something we wanted to talk about a long time. So, uh, cheers. Cheers. Folks, I don't recommend chugging seltzers. <laughs> uh, gets very gassy. Because pretty much my mouth is feeling like Andre the Giant's butthole right now. The 16 seconds? Going on there. <laughs> very burpy boy. Ah, excellent pick. That brings us to week two of All Audience August. Audience. We're going back to the random list. Thank you, everyone, for submitting. How many movies are still there? It's, st it's at 48. I was going to say, it's minus... Two, it's technically. Last week's minus two. Because Mike Karstrom is a patron. He's a we patron love you, Michael. Boy. Patrons get two. Don't forget it. So, Brian, from the random list, <laughs> why don't you beer all of us next week's movie? This pick comes to us from Cubicle Monkey. We're going to be talking about Monty Python's Life of Brian. <laughs> Oh, man. We are two for two in audience right yeah, now. Yeah, we are. The audience is killing it Ooh. right now. That is an excellent pick. I am very on record saying that I like Life of Brian more than I like 
Holy yeah. Grail. Wow, that's going to be a fun one. Man, this is just the best month. This is the month that keeps this on giving at this exactly. point. I'm I'm in love with audience. Next week, it's going to be Monty Python, The Life of Brian. Until then, be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Send us your movie suggestions and your replacements if you recently got picked to beermemoviepod at gmail.com or on our social media, beermemoviepod on Twitter or X, whatever they're calling it, and at beermemovie everywhere else. Like a Facebook where we always put up our recording post on on recording days saying, hey, give us your questions so we can answer them. And we got one. I mean, I've already read one or two here, but we got another one. How about another that? Another one. Okay, cool. And it is from the man, the myth, the Michael Carlstrom, who picked this movie for us. Oh, good. We have to ask answer his question. He asked, if they ever remake this, which, knowing Hollywood, they will, grr, he threw in the grr. Good, good. Who would you cast from today's actors and actresses? No. <laughs> you broke Brian. No. <laughs> I'm kind of like leaning just Ugh. greatest showman people. Like I, I wouldn't mind Zach Efron in there as Wesley. I wouldn't mind Zendaya in there okay. as Buttercup. Yeah, I could see that. There's <sighs> freaks. Therefore, you can get a giant pretty easily, I think. Or that bearded woman who sings really well. <laughs> um, I want it to be the Muppets. Okay, so there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. I, it's the only way I, I could... I would allow it, honestly. <laughs> I'm okay with it. The Muppets. Uh, as somebody who had Rainbow Connection as their wedding song, their first dance, I approve. I feel like when you use the Muppets, though, you have to have at least one real human actor. So it would have to be all of the Muppets and Fred Savage. Still? Yeah. Fine. Uh, fine. <laughs> fine. I mean, dig up Peter Falk while you're at it at this point and just <laughs> marry at him. His eye's probably still intact. We can use it in one of the Muppets. <laughs> uh, let me Google quickly. How long does it take a fake eye to deteriorate when you're dead? <laughs> ah, Michael, you're fantastic. Great question. Great movie pick. Brian, do you have anything else? No, that is it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see everybody next week for Monty Python's The Life of Brian. We'll see you then.